once you take care of people, things will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Just everything will fall into place. Everything, everything. Again, you have to be assertive. You have to be firm. Yes. But you don't have to shout. You know, I always give this example. My father, he never flexed muscles on us. I mean, he never, I mean, he's an army guy, so you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But when he's upset, all he has to do is give us this look. And I tell you, <laughs> we were ready. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Whatever yes, sir. Yes. That's all it takes. And if you shout a lot, trust me, the organization will just, okay, another day, another day of shouting, you know. But if you re- you're a person who rarely get upset, the day you get upset, mm-hmm. the organization will understand now we crossed the line. <laughs> we need to go back. And it worked fine with me. It really worked fine. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their careers and life journeys. Today, we have a fabulous guest that I'm Beyond excited to finally get to interview after a long time coming, Ghassan Mirdad, who is the CEO of Arabian Drilling in Saudi Arabia and is responsible for leading the national drilling champion in the kingdom. Prior to joining Arabian Drilling, Ghassan was the CEO of Katera, Saudi Arabia, a Silicon Valley high-tech construction company. But before that, Ghassan worked at Schlumberger for 24 years where he held several leadership roles in key countries across the globe. He worked in four continents, Africa, Asia, Europe, and South America. Wow, Gasson, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for saying yes to coming and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Gasson, as you were just saying earlier, we had been looking forward to putting you on this podcast, and we're just so happy to get started and learn more about what your life was like growing up. So let's start there. You know, as a young boy in Saudi Arabia, what was your family dynamic life like? And did you have siblings? And just let us know what that life was like. So I was born, raised in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. I'm originally from the holy city, Mecca, originally, but I was born, raised in Mecca. We're, I mean, like any parent, they try to do their best for their kids. We're four siblings. So I have two older brothers, myself, and then one younger sister. My father is a doctor in the army. So being a doctor, he's compassionate. And being in the army, very disciplined, which he kind of instilled in us, in all four of us. But as well, good behavior was an important tick for him that we behave very, very, very well. Mom, she was an entrepreneur housewife. We were completely very close to our mother. You know, when things go wrong, she's the first person to call, say, mom, just pray for us, you know, start praying for us. (laughs) And I think in the family, I would say the values that I think any house would have, but I mean, discipline, education was important. One thing I would say, love, love for others, what you love for yourself. I think this is in a simple way, how kind of we were raised by our parents. And I think we were immersed into sports. Sports was like, you know, everybody says sports was our middle name. I mean, three of us, my two brothers, myself and my sister, we're all black belts. Even my sister is a black belt. We played a lot of sports. All of us played a lot of sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? 
They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Feral because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veral.com. Veral Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. You mentioned that growing up, you were really big into martial arts. It was a big passion of yours. And you almost went to the Olympics to represent Saudi. But your father didn't let you because your grades were suffering. And like you mentioned, you know, school and education was so important for him. Also, as a doctor, he was pushing the rest of the siblings to go into medicine. However, that wasn't really in the plans for you. You didn't necessarily want to become a doctor and follow that footsteps. So you decided to study chemical engineering after a close family friend advised you to. At that age, it's hard for us to really wrap our heads around what our future is going to look like, what really career and degree you want to do. Did you choose chemical engineering because Saudi oil and gas, it's a good career? Is that why you decided to go that route, to go into the oil field? If you look at Saudi, you have the eastern province where everybody knew about oil and gas. Riyadh, the capital, which is the center, didn't know much about oil and gas except the price of oil. And then the West, where you have more of the holy city, Mecca, Medina, the pilgrimage, and a lot of trading, a lot of trading was going on. So in Riyadh, there is not much. All I knew is I was very good with science, physics, chemistry, math. These were the subjects that I loved. I understood because I like to understand more than to memorize. I was too much into sports. So, I mean, you just give me a book. I'll just read the book and go for a test. I didn't have any specific kind of direction where to go. And my father, I mean, being a father, he would love that we become doctors, but he didn't push for it. He would love to. I mean, like you see yourself and your kids. That's the way he thought about it. My grades actually got me into medical as well. I could have went for medical. And my father was saying, try the medical. And he actually told me, Rasan, medical will make you help people. And I never understood it except later on when I realized this is something I enjoy doing. I think he saw that in me. And that's why he was kind of trying to ask me to go to medical. And then we went to a family friend. My father asked him about chemical. You know, he said chemical engineering because the chemical industry is just going to grow because Saudi is an oil and gas company. But I never knew that's my direction. And during my university time, I just saw the name Schlumberger. And it was the company to be in. When you are a Schlumberger employee, everybody will look up to you. They think it's a good training company that trains, values their employees. You get a lot of exposures across the board. I remember the message, you are recruited to be the future CEO of the company. That's why you're doing Schlumberger. So it was something that I wanted to go to. And one of the main reasons I wanted to go to as well is there is a story that goes back that maybe you cannot cover right now, but I really wanted my parents to be proud Mm. in everything what I do, everything. And I think being Joining Schlumberger and excelling in Schlumberger and being something in Schlumberger will make them proud. This is really what the real bottom of why did I join Schlumberger at the end or only us? Well, I think you 
did exactly what you wanted to do. <laughs> you spent <laughs> 24 years at Schlumberger and you're extremely successful in this space. You know, taking us back to that time where you said that you had these aspirations, you saw the Schlumberger, you know, that's the pinnacle. What was it like going into the career fair and actually getting recruited and interviewed with Schlumberger? Can you take us back to that time and really what happened, how you felt and even how your parents took it? The story starts is was I was in art and photography club where I take the camera and I take pictures when we have events. And we had the career fair. The big one happens at the end of the year where big companies come, but the small one happens in the first semester. So I had my camera and I was walking around taking pictures of students talking to different companies. And I was not interested to talk to any company because I was not ready. I still have one more semester and then go for my internship and then another year to graduate. So Going for a job was not the thing that I was in my head. And while I was walking, I looked at Schlumberger. It didn't have a booth. It just had a cubicle at that time because this is a small event. And in the cubicle, it says they wanted electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, and they wanted a geologist. So there was no chemical engineer in the list. So I went to the recruiter and I introduced myself. My name is Hassan. And I said, look, I see in your list you don't have a chemical engineer. And I'm a chemical engineer. And he said, yeah, actually, we don't recruit chemical engineers. I remember this. I told them, but it's not about what subject you studied. All you want is an engineer. You take an engineer, you mold him, you structure him the way you want, and you just send him to the field to work. And going back, he looked at me, he gave me this look. I felt at that time that he's telling me, are you going to teach me my job? But it wasn't the case. He literally told me afterwards, he said, Rasan, when you said that, he realized that this guy knows what he's saying. I mean, He's right. I mean, he did his homework before talking to me. Mm -hmm. So he gave me this brochure that is a self-assessment where you assess yourself. And it tells you at the end that you fit in the Schlumberger family or not. And he says, look, take this self-assessment with yourself. And then once you evaluate, come next year when you were coming for an intern and let's talk. And I did the self-assessment same day. It says I fit in Schlumberger. So I was very, very happy. <laughs> and I kept the self-assessment on the side. I literally hid it so I don't lose it. And then next year, I went and I met him. And I said, you remember me? He says, yes, I remember you. Wow. I said, I did my self-assessment. And he actually took me for a summer intern. And I did extremely well in the summer intern to the level that they told me, look, you have a job as soon as you graduate. So, you know, this pressure of finding a job, luckily, I thank God, I didn't have to go through finding a job and applications and CVs. You know, it was just, it went so smooth. And he personally told me after I joined Schlumberger, he told me, Hassan, what really got you into the job is the first discussion we had when you said, look, you just need an engineer, you mold him. It seemed like you know what we want and you did your homework. Wow. What an incredible story. And from that moment, you spent 24 years there and climbed up Pretty high. So that's yes. fantastic. So let's bring you back to 1995 when you found out that you got your second round technical interview, but it was in Egypt, which meant you had to let your parents know that you were leaving the country because you hadn't told them yet that you were going to take this Slumberger offer. And your dad picked up the phone and he called the same family friend that kind of pushed you into going into chemical engineering. And he asked them for advice and they told him, Listen, they're going to work your son hard. He's going to be a field engineer for Slumberger. Good luck. This is hard work. And your dad was like, perfect. We're going to see if he can do this. And what we thought was fantastic about that is that a lot of Middle Eastern parents, you know, they don't want their children necessarily to work, you know, while they're going to school or even after they 
get a lot of things given to them, right? Because you take care of your kids a lot versus maybe other countries where at 12 years old, you have to go outside and work. But your father really wanted to install that, you know, you have to work hard regardless and didn't necessarily just give you and your siblings easy access to things. How did that shape you and really make you turn into who you are today with knowing that from a young age, you have to work hard? So you are completely right. Things have changed in Saudi. Things are transforming in Saudi. But you're right. Long time back when when I was a teenager, parents didn't want their kids to go through hardship. Mm. But I mean, my father is an army person. He really wanted me to learn. I mean, he said, you need to earn the dollar. You need to know what does it take to earn the dollar. So when he called this family friend, he used to work in Oman and he used to be in charge of the Western desert of in the oil and gas. So he knew Slumberjay in and out. He said, look, this is one of the top companies that your son can work for, but it's not an easy ride. He's going to work hard. They're going to move around the world. And my father felt that, okay, a top company, they're going to train me, they're going to develop me, and it's not going to be an easy job. So, I mean, he was really, really helping. Going back and talking about my father, maybe I can't talk much about my father. He just passed away less than a year ago. So I don't want to be emotional on the call. He was a father. He was a friend. He was a colleague. I mean, we were almost 50 years apart, age from age. Mm. But he was so close. He was very, very close. Discipline, respect of elders, and treating people with respect was kind of key for him. He never said it, but you see the way he reacts with people. He was a general and the head of the military hospital. But I never knew that. I never understood what's the general. So you can tell. Because he never introduced himself as a general. He introduced himself as Dr. Abdelaziz or Abdelaziz, not even doctor. This ego of title or position was never there in his life and made sure that we don't understand it as kids because we didn't talk about it. He always said, everyone is good until they prove otherwise. And I think this is something he taught us when we grew up, caring, helping others, I remember the other thing he says, he says, you don't buy anything, even if you can afford it. It has to have a meaning. You cannot just go, you know, buy 10 things just because you can afford it. Do you really need it? So there was this close relationship. When we played martial arts, for example, he really helped us. He actually joined us to play martial arts. So it was my two elder brothers, myself and my younger sister playing martial taekwondo. And he was with us. He went all the way to blue belt and he just wanted us because he wanted to support us in something we wanted to do. When I was young, I was 10 years old. I told my dad, I want $100. I was actually less. I was eight or six years old. I said, I want $100. And he said, why do you want $100? And I said, I wanted to buy these small cars. You know, we used to travel to the US every summer. And he said, I want to go to the US, buy these small cars. And then I come back to Saudi and sell them. And he said, hmm. Do you want to do some business? I said, yeah. I didn't know what business is. I just wanted to buy (laughs) something that doesn't exist in Saudi. And he literally was with me. I mean, he went and bought things. And now at the same time, he taught me a couple of things on the way. I said, I'll give you $100. I will help you. But there are some rules. There's two important rules. Rule number one, whatever you make, we're 50-50. And I didn't know what the hell is (laughs) 50-50. And he says, look, when you go, you buy something, you come sell it. 50%, half of that, I take, half of that, you take. And I said, why? Now it's my cars, I'm selling them. Why should I give you half of the money? And he said, well, I'm not going to give you $100. And I started thinking, okay, okay, I'll accept to give you $50. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, the second rule is, 
the half that you keep, you cannot spend all of it. You can spend half of it. And I said, now that's my half. He said, look, you keep half of it. And then the following year, you don't need me. You have the money and you can go by yourself. And then everything is yours. Mm. And I tell you, I was young and I started every year going, buying. I started with small cars and then I went to magical stuff. And then I was a teenager, was buying things for cars. He taught me a lot of things. And the third thing he taught me when I was a teenager, he said, because I was buying things that weren't in Saudi. So they were Mm. unique. Mm-hmm. So if I buy something for $10, I can sell it for $500 because it's yeah. not in Saudi. And he told me, Rassan, look, you can only make 25% profit. Not because you have this uniqueness that nobody has. You, you go out and kind of make too much money out of people. Mm-hmm. So he kind of said, mm-hmm. you make only 25% and that's it. And that's the thing I did till I finished high school, actually. Wow. Your father was an absolutely incredible human being, and he taught you really what life is really about. And it really shows in your career and who you've become today. And that 25% is really important because what he's teaching you is don't gouge people, basically, like yes. don't take advantage of others. Exactly, exactly. That's which right is really important. And I'd like to kind of bring that into your career and how successful you had become as you were moving up the ladder and you were having an upward climb. And there was a point where someone actually almost ruined that for you. And you had a clash with a division manager with the company you were working for at the time. And this person really made your life quite miserable. Can you tell us what you learned from this situation and also how you perceive yourself to management, regardless of maybe if you think you're right in that situation? I'm sure your father probably had taught you a lot of lessons around this as well, because you learned that even through sports. What can others take away from that? Because a lot of us will, through our career, have a time where our manager probably doesn't support us in the way that we would like. And how do we not let it ruin the path that we are on? So the story goes, without going too much details, is... There was a misunderstanding that happened and I was completely right. If you look at the story itself, I was 100% right. And I'm not saying my manager, not my manager plus two is N plus four. So between me and N plus four, I was a grade 10 engineer and he was the regional manager. He wanted to put a disciplinary action on me because he thought he was totally different. He didn't know the full story. And when I tell the story to everyone, everybody says, you were right, Hassan. How come? And this is not acceptable. But, you know, the real story is how I reacted to the situation. Mm -hmm. Not because I am right, I can shout and I can bang on the table and scream at my boss. And no, you should be professional. You should explain how things happen. However, I went off guard. And I always say it was completely my mistake. Looking back to it. Mm-hmm. If I was calm, professional, and explained to him, look, this is what happened. This is my story, you know? And I just didn't give him the chance. I just blasted. And I said, this will not happen. I will not accept. And of course, this, when you talk to your manager, let aside your N plus four yeah. in this manner, you're written off your history, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I paid a lot because of what I've done. In the next 10 years, I was always one grade less than my peers. But who to blame is myself, is you have to be professional in the way you portray yourself, how to set the situation, how to explain yourself. And sometimes you're wrong. And just being professional and accepting and being apologetic means a lot. Now, in my case, I was not wrong. 
But even if you're wrong, the way you come across is very, very important. And what happens today, what I see is sometimes employees, the way I did, it was a tough lesson that I learned, the way how I come across. So I always say I blame myself before I say that he was upset and trying to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That's something that we will all use throughout our careers because it's really how you react to it because that's what stays in people's minds is your reaction to whatever it was, whether it was your fault or not. That's what sticks. And like you said, it lags along for many years of whatever kind of branding came out and that's what they're going to know you for. So it's very important. So thank you for sharing that. It's very important to know in your career, you will have a manager who is open, talkative, accessible, and some managers are not. And it's a fact of life that you will go through. And I tell everyone, it's part of your learning because one day when you become a manager, you know how it feels, how your employees will feel if you're an accessible person or not an accessible person. So do the right thing. Don't be the person that you didn't like, the manager you didn't like. So it's part of your learning how to be a future manager. Instead of being upset about it, live with it. You're going to go through it and just learn from it. (laughs) Agree. Agree. Thank you for sharing that. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. When we spoke to you during your pre-interview, I really loved this story and I wanted to make sure we showcased it. You mentioned that, and this, I think also everybody will go through something similar. You encountered an employee that had a poor rating, right? They were a CD, whatever, not good, according to whoever valued them. He was unmotivated. He was negative. He had an arrogant attitude, et cetera, right? As you're reading about him. However, very similar to what your father said was, Nobody is bad until they prove it to you. So it's called about giving everybody the equal opportunity to really demonstrate that and not just listening to other people about what they think about this person and what their grade shows, right? And this you gave this person an opportunity to work for you because you saw good in him. And this individual turned around and showed not only you, but everybody around him that he was capable, he was smart, and he just needed a manager that gave him just a different type of environment, coaching, and showed that you included him and cared for him. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this could either have been that manager that gave someone this opportunity and they could also say, yes, this person turned around or being a C-rated employee, seeing other people do that as well. I'm sure that people relate to this. What advice do you have for those in management positions where you can truly impact an individual like this? What kind of advice do you have? So two points to go into the story I want to highlight. In big organizations, 
big organizations want to do the right thing. But again, you know, fact of life, things will go wrong for some people and some people will fall through the cracks. This will happen. So all I'm saying to everyone, look, sometimes things will go wrong with you in your career. Not because the company wants that. It's just in a big organization, sometimes things go wrong. The company doesn't want to harm anyone. The other thing is there's always people giving you a bit of background about other people. Fine. You know, you can take it, keep it in the back of your head, but don't take an action on it. Don't say that is what the person is. So you need to confirm that that's true. So this person, going to the story, I was the head of training for Middle East in Asia. It's used to call TDS training development staffing at that time. And I was in charge of promotion to grade 11. And this person was a grade 10 who was very late on his promotion. He was in Abu Dhabi. So I went to Abu Dhabi just to go see him and try to see his next door. So I said, let me see him face to face. And his manager told me, I mean, this person is very negative, arrogant, but his manager told me he believes it's because of his career. So I sat with the person and I, and he was really, really negative, but And he got me off guard at some time, you know, I said, listen, look, what happened to you during your field time is not right. The company never wanted you to go through this experience. So you fell through the crack. He did not trust the system because the trust system was very clear, training, appraisals, promotion, courses, everything, your timeline is very clear. And he did not go through that. He was one of the victims who fell through the crack. I've been telling him, look, the company never wants this for their employees. It's just sometimes things go wrong. And then the system will correct itself. And now I'm coming with here to you. And that's what I say. The system is correcting itself. I realize you went through this and I'm trying to help you to your grade 11. And he was, yeah, right, right. Okay. 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 I mean, he was really, really, I said, look, I did my part. I came all the way to you. And I said, look, I'm here to help. You want to get your promotion. I'm open. You can come and visit me next door and we can help. But if you're going to keep this attitude, won't help you and it won't help the company. I think he went on by himself with his manager and I think he realized, okay, let me give this guy a try. He didn't trust the system and I don't blame him. He really went through tough times mm. during his three, four years in the engineer in the field. He came to me, he listened, he got his promotion, everything was fine. And then we're just apart. And then I moved to Asia and the next thing I find out, once I land, a month after that, he comes to my location reporting to me as the engineer in charge of one of the divisions. So I said, oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I called him in and I mean, he didn't know. He said, oh, this is the one I gave him hard time for my promotion. He know I helped him a lot in his promotion. He admit that I helped him a lot on his promotion, but he didn't know now. I mean, he's reporting to me, right? So I called him in and I told him, listen, look, what happened in the past, let's forget about it. What I need you is let's focus on today. I'm not going to judge you on the past. What you need to do is things that you have to do. I need to help you, things that you need to learn in management, but it goes both ways. I don't have the crystal ball to know what you know, what you don't know. If you don't know, my door is open. Just come in and tell me, I don't know. Please, it's better that you come at the beginning and tell me, I don't know. I will not misjudge you. Because sometimes some managers, someone comes and says, I don't know how to do this. They say, how come you're a GFE, you don't know how to do this, right? So I told him, I will not misjudge you if you come and ask, because it's better to come and tell me, I don't know, and I'll teach you how to do it. Instead of having a mistake in a problem, then I have to fix the problem as well, and then teach you as well. 
So he was up for that. And he literally came to me a couple of times. One time he was doing his appraisals and it was the first time he said, Rassan, he came in, he said, Rassan, look, I feel embarrassed to say this, but I thought this appraisal thing is so easy. It's a five minute thing. I think it's not. <laughs> I said, yeah. it's not. It's not. It's people's career here. People's career that you work talking about. So we locked the door, sat down next to me and I said, okay, let's choose one person of your employees and let's start. Leave your personal feelings aside. You like the guy, you don't like the guy. This is a side. Let's look at it professionally. He did his job, did his job, the objectives. And then how can you be giving him good feedback on the things that he's done well and positive criticism, things that was not well that you need to improve, he needs to improve. And you need to come in a positive way. I told him, look, my job when I correct you when you do a problem is not to come and put it in appraisal, you did bad, this, 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 this. I'm coming to tell you so you improve. And then if you improve, you do a good job. I do a good job. We all succeed. It's not about your appraisal every time I come and tell you. Mm -hmm. So I told him one thing, as I said, if you have anything you want to ask, please come and ask. And then I gave him two challenges. And I said, look, I told him I'm going to give you two challenges. Number one, stop being negative. Don't talk about because negativeness is a disease. Just be positive in everything. Forget the past. Forget the past. Things are not working. Fix it. Inventory is not right. Fix it. You don't have this. Let's fix it. Don't be negative. It's just this is where it is. And we're here to fix it. That's our job. And let's not blame the people before us because the people before us, it was worse and they fixed it to the level that we are in today. So don't blame people in the past. They did a lot of work to where we stand today and we need to continue. So first, don't be negative, I told them. And then the second challenge, I told them, you really need to be close to your team. And the challenge is you have to be closer to them than I'm closer to them. Between me and you, you're going to have a challenge because I am very, very close to the people. If you can beat that, I tell you, I'll be very proud of you. And I tell you, after two years working with him, he was very, very close to his. I mean, they used to go to him before coming to me. And I was so proud. I was very, very proud of him. I literally gave him an A. He was shocked. He said, Do you really believe? I said, look, you did this, you did this. I taught you some things. I used to leave the location and you run the location. I depended, you know, after God on you, you did everything. And I told them, I challenged you in some things and you delivered. You really overachieved. And I told them, you were one of the few managers that reported to me who managed to change because change is very difficult, right? Very, very difficult. And I think he's one of the best managers that I've seen who kind of changed a lot of his attitude. But all of his attitude maybe was because of his bad experience, right? Within his career when he started. But it was not him. It's just because of the career that he went through. So he didn't trust the system. What I really like about what you said is that you solidified how literally one person can change the life of somebody. And you did that. And I think that that is absolutely incredible that that happened. And that you were able to change someone's life. And I think Jamie and I have both had managers that have done that for us, where maybe they took you from a specific environment and brought you into another one. And like you said, it's all about you just seeing a little bit of positivity in them. And it's all about mindset at the end of the day. Forget about the past. Forget about the last role. Forget about whatever. And now it's time to prove yourself and move forward. And that's how you're going to do. So a really big question that I've had and... We're at almost that time now is let's talk about your exit in 2020. You decided after 24 years, that is not an easy decision, by the way, to take a big leap of faith and try something new. 
leaving your comfort zone, your family, right? We've had people on the podcast who've also left after 20, 25 years, a company, and they say it feels almost like a divorce, you know, from a family and it's hard. So bring us back to when you decided to take that big leap of faith and how difficult that was. And maybe one piece of advice that you can give anyone who's thinking about a similar risk or leap of faith after many years of being in one company and looking back what advice would you give yourself? So was it difficult? It was very difficult. It was very, very, very difficult. Especially, you know, Shlombajay is a people company. And if you're a people person, you would have friends literally everywhere. I mean, when 24 years, four continents, you just have friends everywhere, right? And it was difficult. But the way I always say there's a lot of people don't know the priority in life. Sometimes you focus too much at work, too much at work, and you miss the family. Sometimes, you know, there is things that are very important and it's too late. And I think this really made a big decision. When you ask me, there is a very known reply. When you say, how are you, Hassan? There is two ways to answer. As long as you're fine, I'm fine. That's one known. Everybody in Shlombaji knows this. You did this this morning. (laughs) Yeah. Some managers say, I'm not going to ask you because I'm fine. Then you're fine. You know, some managers say this in Shlombaji. But the other answer I say, usually I say, Health is good, family is good, and my parents are pleased with me. Mm. So these three things, I think they're my three things that I really need to make sure that they're fine. My parents are very old. My father was in his early, you know, 90s. And since I left university, I was Mm -hmm. away. And that was very, very, very important for me. You know, I mean, I haven't spent time and I didn't know how much time I'm going to spend there was Katera, the position in Katera was opened in Riyadh, so I'll be with my parents. It was very, very important. It was very, very important for me that I had to do that. And I'll be very frank. I mean, my wife was extremely supportive in my career. Very, very supportive. I will not have lived the 24 years without my wife's support. But, you know, she's been moving all over the place. And it's time to settle. <laughs> and in Shlombajay, you just can't settle. Shlombajay is always on the move. You've done that for 24 years. So two things. One, wife, make her happy and make sure that everything is fine. So that's the family part. Mm-hmm. And then my parents. I thank God that I took that position because my father just passed away less than a year ago. So I spent time with him, which was very, very, very important. Again, it's not easy. 24 years, I loved every bits of it. You know, people tell me which country was the best. Every country was excellent because you go with a positive mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you learn in that country and you make friends and you enjoy the job. And every time you learn in Shlambajay, when you move from job to job, you learn a lot. It was just a time to make a change. If I give an advice, I've seen a lot of people in Shlambajay who left because a tough manager or things didn't go their way. Or sometimes I heard someone says, look, I got Slumberjay, this contract for $10 million. I got this, I got this. Well, that's part of your job. You get paid for that. You cannot, you know, start being, you know, telling Slumberjay, I did this for you. This, that's your job. That's why you're getting paid. You're not getting paid to do a good job. You're being paid to do an outstanding job. That's why you're getting paid. Mm-hmm. So don't try to get back to the company and say, I did this, then I want to do what I want. Because the company does not revolve on the person. There is a bigger thing that the company looks after. And you're part of the whole equation, right? So sometimes you will move because of business needs. Sometimes you will move because the company wants to develop you. And sometimes, as I mentioned in the story, sometimes things go wrong. And all it takes is be patient as long it's not affecting your priorities, like what happened to me. It was clashing with my priorities. 
which is family and my parents, which is two important things for me. And that's the time you start thinking, yes, if you have been a good employee and you have explained to your company the situation you're in, there is a big chance that they will accommodate. I give you a clear example with me. I managed Saudi for four years. It was a tough situation. My wife got a scholarship doing her PhD Mm. in Ireland. There is no jobs in Ireland. There's a small location was, I think, for screens. And I was managing Saudi, one of the biggest Jew market in the world. So what happened is I told the company I'm in this situation. So they moved me to London. So I was part of the M&A team, learned completely something different. They sent me for London Business School. I did my master's degree with Slumberger full time. So they accommodated my situation. But to do that, you really have to be doing your part as a good employee who's delivering. Mm-hmm. The company, listen, my parents are in Riyadh. There is no one in Riyadh. Yeah. You know, I worked in Saudi before. I was in the biggest job in Saudi. So there's no other job to go yeah. to in Saudi. Yeah. <laughs> it was difficult to accommodate as much as the company really tried their best that I stay. And there was different jobs that was given to me. But it's not about the company that was not doing their job. They did what they had to do. It's just my priorities to my family and my parents was at stake. And that's the reason I have to leave. Well, I think you bring up some very valid points around not just leaving because of a bad manager, not leaving because you're upset about something or because it's not about you, because you mentioned a lot about how the company doesn't revolve around one person. So to the point that you said, oh, well, I just won this huge contract, so I should get X. That's not really how it's going to work, especially when you're 90,000 employees. What if every single one acted that way? So you really have to go down to what values and what priorities you have for your personal life and make the decision on that. And I think you did exactly what you should have done. To end, what we'd really like to ask you is it's been one year since you became the CEO of Arabian Drilling, which is incredible. Congratulations. But however, there were some people along the road who definitely didn't think that you had the right leadership style to be a CEO. You know, you were different. You treated people, I think you treated people very in a great way, given your story and things that you did. But maybe other people just didn't think that that was somebody who was capable of ever becoming a CEO. What advice would you give to those who are going through a similar situation where they have really big aspirations maybe, or or they're taking on a role that maybe others never thought they could ever accomplish? What kept you going and how did you overcome those voices from the outside? I'm going to tell you something that is not common for people to say. You know, usually people tell you, you know, be inspired that you're going to be the next CEO, have a plan. I'm sorry to say I never had a plan. I never felt that I wanted to be the CEO or the president. And I think, and I never thought I wanted to get promoted very fast. You know, some people like have a stopwatch and they want to promote and they want to be faster than everyone else to get promoted. I just never had that. I just had, look, I'm doing my job. I'm happy. I want to go to the next step. Yes. But to go to the next step, if you want to do it fast, you need to step on people and you need to stop people in the back. And all of this comes in, but because this was never in my agenda, you know, I wanted to grow, but I never had the stopwatch mm-hmm. to grow. So it's just, was just coming. I heard this, I won't say a lot, you know, it was a couple of managers who kind of came to me and said, look, I mean, not them. They told someone who came to me, they said, look, the manager says you will never be up in the company, but they thought that I will not grow in the company, not because of competency. They believed I am very competent of what I'm doing. The problem is I was not an aggressive manager. Mm. I was not the person who shouts. You know, being assertive is different than being aggressive. 
being approachable and fair is what it takes. Once the people realize that you are fair, regardless what, I mean, the person is good or not good, you're fair with everyone, then people respect you. And once you take care of people, they'll take care of you. And if you look at my career, it was a success after success after success. I really believe it was not my success. It was the team who made me succeed. Mm-hmm. All I did is just made sure that I eliminate any friction between the team. And that's what I think managers should do. One of the key things that you eliminate friction, where other managers, they try to make competition between the managers mm-hmm. and they make friction. And sometimes they put people against each other, which is, I think is not healthy. Mm-hmm. So because it was not in my plan to be the next president or CEO, all of this noise never affected me. It really didn't harm me at all. And I just proven that it's not the case. You know, one thing that is overwhelming is I had a coach. We were assigned some coaches at one point, actually in my last job. And the coach told me, Hassan, you know, I've been writing about different leadership style. And she told me, I think you have the right leadership style. And this was like kind of a, for me, it was just a big motivational from a coach who says, look, you have the right way of approaching because once you take care of people, things will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Just everything will fall into place. Everything, everything. Again, you have to be assertive. You have to be firm. Yes. But you don't have to shout. You know, I always give this example. My father, he never flexed muscles on us. I mean, he never, I mean, he's an army guy, so you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But when he's upset, all he has to do is give us this look. And I tell <laughs> you, King, we were ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Whatever you yes, sir. Yes. That's all it takes. And if you shout a lot, trust me. The organization will just, okay, another day, another day of shouting, you know. But if you're you're a person who rarely gets upset, the day you get upset, Mm -hmm. the organization will understand, now we cross the line. (laughs) We need to go back. And it worked fine with me. It really worked fine. Wow. Jason. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a fantastic episode. So much valuable information. I love it. Thank you so much. We need to do like part two, three, four. (laughs) I know. There's so much more that we can ask, but truly, I think at the end of the day, through your whole story, is you put people first, you care about people. And if you care about people and your teams, they will deliver, they will do their job, they will take care of your business. And at the end of the day, you win as a leader because everyone around you is happy in doing what they want. So thank you so much for just your leadership. Congratulations on CEO of Arabian Drilling. Fantastic. And hopefully we see you soon or you either come meet us on the Western side of the world or we come to (laughs) Saudi. You're more than welcome. I mean, Saudi is changing. It's transforming. So this is a place to be, by the way. You need to come and visit. At least for a vacation. Yeah, we need to go to Saudi. Well, thank you, Gasson. And for everybody who listened today, please like, subscribe, leave us comments. We love to hear from you and tune in for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.